Thanks so much for that intro, Gabe. Excellent animation skills. It's awesome to see you putting them to work. So today, as you can tell from that video, we're starting our four-week Advent series leading up to Christmas, and the theme we're exploring today is joy. joy. That's right, somebody joy. So before we kick into it, the main thing that I want you to take away today from this talk is that joy is a choice. So let's explore the nature of choice first up, and let me tell you a story that involves a lot of choices. It's called the Parable of the Evil Farmers, sometimes called the Parable of the Tenants. It's a story that Jesus told, and it goes a little bit like this. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed, until there was only one left, his son, whom he loved dearly. The owner finally sent him, thinking, Surely they'll respect my son. But the tenant farmers said to one another, he comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, murdered him, and threw his body out of the vineyard. So what do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do? Jesus asked. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Ooh, feel good story. <laughs> Just the kind of Christmas joy you want to spread at this time of year and get in the festive mood, right? Maybe not, but you know, I'll take you on a bit of a journey and um, we'll see what this has to do with Christmas joy. Now one of my favourite bands is called For King and Country. I love their music, I've seen them live, they're an amazing band. And you might have heard one of their songs, it's called Joy. And it goes a little something like this. Pause right there. Alright, that is some dense theological and psychological concepts they've captured in those six words. Choose joy, let it move you. Alright, so, let's start with that first one, choice. Alright, this is the best place to start because I want to teach you that you probably have more control over the way that you feel and act than you think you do. So a good illustration comes from the movie Inside Out. Just Riley and me, forever. Apologies if you haven't seen this movie, I'm going to draw on it pretty heavily, but if you haven't, check it out after this, and you'll know a bit more of what I'm talking about. But throughout this movie, they put across that inside Riley's mind, Joy seems to be in control. And even when she gets lost, the other emotions take over and do their best to be in control too. Oh, very smooth. That was just like Joy. Boom! I'll be Joy! So this is Riley's default state. It's pretty true of most kids that their emotions are in charge most of the time. But at the end, something interesting happens. The emotions get a new upgraded control desk with lots of cool new impulses that they can send to Riley's mind. But when you're watching this, did you ask yourself, who's supplying this new stuff? Like, and where are all these impulses going? No? Only me? Oh well. The fact is, there's actually a higher power taking charge here inside Riley's mind, and yours. 
who is actually determining her choices based on the input that they're receiving from the emotions. As well as from all the other things we see in that movie, namely memories, which are beliefs, values, experiences, facts, opinions, and ideas. These facts and opinions look so similar. Ah, don't worry about it. it. Happens all the time. Well, you could say that this higher power is Riley herself, which is right, but you can say that Riley's emotions and memories are all part of her as well. So I'd like to make a distinction that I like to call this higher power your will. So this gets a little bit sciencey, but it's the part of your mind that hangs out in the front of your brain called the prefrontal cortex. And this is the part that helps you do intelligent things like set and achieve goals and process information. It also helps you do other super helpful things like focus your attention, uh, predict the consequences of your actions, plan for the future, or anticipate events going on around you, or especially managing your emotional reactions, and coordinating complex tasks. Like, I can't do this until this happens. Now, the irony of talking about this in a kid's service is like when you're growing up, it's the part of your brain that develops the slowest of all, and it isn't even fully developed until in your early 20s. Uh, so I don't mean to disrespect kids and teenagers, but it does explain behavior like this. back into the movie. Now the movie highlights this when Riley simply just responds to her emotions and ideas without a thought. She's taken for a ride without much choice in the matter and, and a lot of the time bad things happen, like she makes some bad choices. But towards the end of the movie you see Riley starting to make some better choices because she's putting the more focus on her will by balancing out all the information that her mixed emotions are throwing in. Uh, she's growing into her ability to get all that information together and choose the right path forward. Now, all that being said, I'd like to point out that a lot of the time, the right path forward could well be to let joy move you. All right, so let's talk about how joy can move you. Cast your mind back a few weeks. Uh, remember, I said anger is a motivating emotion, it makes you do things. Well, the truth is all emotions are motivating emotions. Like, they make you do stuff. Now, we've established already that through your will, you can develop the ability to make a choice about what you're moved to do. That's your behavior. And if your will's in good shape, doing a good job, you'll have the power to make a helpful choice, even if your emotions are sending in some crazy signals. I make this look good. However, if your will is underdeveloped or neglected, you're probably going to be moved to act without thinking, and that a lot of the time ends up with an unhelpful choice. For example, have you ever lashed out at someone or hurt them with words or violence and then your explanation is, you may be angry? You made me mad. 
Pong, you're getting anger and aggression confused again. Those are two very different things. Yes, people can do things that make you feel angry, but you're fully responsible for choosing aggression. But how do you choose joy and let it move you? I think there's a hint in our favorite Christmas carol that we're gonna sing at the end of this service, and it's got a line in it that says this. So let's break that line down. What's so thrilling that makes a weary world choose to respond with joy, rejoicing? The answer is hope. More specifically, the hope that is yonder. So what does yonder mean? <laughs> Literally means over there, in the distance, somewhere in the future. Uh, there's hope for a new day that is glorious compared to this weary life we've had to put up with until now. So this is what makes joy such an important but difficult choice to make a lot of the time. And it's difficult because there is just so many reasons to feel weary. But then there's hope, which happens to be another very important theme that's coming up in our Advent series over the next three weeks. But if you don't have hope in a future that's better than now, I'd suggest that your only options are depression, or aggression. There's too much going wrong with this world, it's too bad. Now you might be lucky enough to feel pretty comfortable now, but 100% guaranteed, all of your efforts to improve your life will be met over time with the fact that comfort declines. And along the way you'll be faced with sickness, and pain, and grief, and conflict, and death. And you'll become depressed. What have we done? Or even worse, you'll actively get involved in causing the pain and conflict in the world by only focusing on your present circumstances in this broken world and trying to create your own hope through selfishness and violence. This is where the parable I introduced at the start hits home. It mirrors our reading that James most excellently shared before from Hebrews chapter 1 that tells us how long ago... Although in many ways and at many times, God prophets spoke his message to our ancestors but finally sent his one and only son to declare a future hope through his message of love and resurrection from the dead. Now the evil farmers in that story made several choices to increase their own short-term selfish gain over showing love and respect and sacrifice for the master who'd given them everything they had in the first place. The difference was they looked at now instead of the yonder hope. Sad story, it really is. But I can give you some good news. Some people might even call it the gospel. But now at last, God sent his son to bring his message to us. And we can now sing. And man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. So because God knew how hopeless our future was, that our options were depression or aggression, which ended in punishment for our selfishness, he was moved to act with love towards this weary world of people. And he sent his son to change our destiny into a new and glorious one. So here's where I'd like to point out a story that contrasts with the parable of the evil farmers. It's a response of the shepherds in the Christmas story. So these guys had the angel appear to them and tell them, The Saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So how did they choose to respond? 
It wasn't, oh, man, a baby. What's a baby gonna do to save us? <laughs> Let us know when there's actually a Lord ready to save us from something and then we'll get excited. No, they dropped everything and they ran to see a helpless baby savior as fast as they could and after that went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. They chose to respond with joy to something that was far off in the future. The thrill of hope over yonder. It was just as real to them as if a triumphant king was winning a victory in glorious battle. So that's our hope. Even though Jesus lived his earthly life in the past and has already defeated sin over 2,000 years ago, we still have a thrill of hope that's in the future, that we'll be given new life because... After the Son had washed away our sins, he sat down on the right side of the glorious God in heaven. And this is the Son and the glorious God that we will see at the end of our lives. We'll give an account to, and he'll welcome us home if we've believed in him. So let me sum up the whole process and describe how we can apply it to our lives. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. If we face bad circumstances and life gets hard, we can use our will to grab some of the truth from our memory. For example, there's a memory that might say, God loves the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Remember that old thing? I know it's in there somewhere. So then you use hope, which is over yonder in the future that we've talked about, as your motivation to choose to put joy in the control seat and let it move you to act with love instead of depression or aggression. Rinse and repeat every day for the rest of your life. Done. On a brighter note, while our circumstances haven't changed, I guess our perspective can. Right, Randy? Couldn't have said it better myself.